Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So if you brought a Bible with you, we have a Bible app on your mobile phone, please turn with me to uh, the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to be looking at chapter number 6. And today we're in part 2 of uh, a series titled parenting fail, which is sub, uh, subtitled, What to Do When We Miss the Mark. And uh, you know what? Last week, we actually kicked this series off, and I realized after Sunday morning, um, I think I might have started in the wrong place, because what we talked about last week really wasn't really kind of beginning parenting. Actually, it was a little bit more advanced. I mean, some of it might be like intermediate or advanced parenting stuff. So uh, I thought I just... You know, I thought to myself, you know, I inadvertently kind of like skipped over the basics. And so I just want to apologize to you for that. I mean, you know, I should have planned a little bit better and I should have thought a little more ahead. So, uh, but the good news is I can actually fix that mistake today and I can actually make things right. Um, in fact, we can just take a moment real quick to cover the basics of parenting. That's That way we can just kind of continue what we're doing here. And so what we're going to do this morning, just real fast, we're just going to do Parenting 101, Introduction to Parenting. Uh, you guys will all really appreciate appreciate this. So um, uh, so if you're a brand new parent, you know, there's some basic things that you need to know. For instance, you know, there's some important skills in parenting, you know, about how you actually pick up your child. Now, people would think that that's just a natural thing. You should know how to do that. It's a rudimentary skill. But actually, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. And we have scoured the internet for instructions on how to do this. And so we've come up with this right here, okay? So this right here is a great illustration, <laughs> all right? So when you pick up a child, you hold the head. You don't pick up the child by the head. Just so we're, okay, we're clear on that, all right. And, and, and every parent also needs to know, you know, sometimes babies cry. And sometimes, you know, they, they cry for reasons we can't figure out. And we can't figure out what they need. And so sometimes we just have to comfort them. And comforting babies is a really important skill. And so there's some, here's some instructions on, on how to do this and how not to do this, okay? <laughs> Hugging your children. Good. Giving them a shot of alcohol might be effective and maybe even like do the trick, but that's not good. Okay. So, and then there are times when you want to make your kids smile because smiling babies are happy, healthy babies. And so you want to, your child to smile as much as possible. And so here's some basics on this as well. Okay. This is instructions on how to make your children smile. Puppets and toys and games. Good. Um, Sticking your fingers in their mouth. Not so good. Okay. And then finally, you know, techniques for waking up your children. The reality, you know, is that sometimes, I mean, you, we really want to let our kids sleep as much as possible, especially when they're babies. But there's just those times you have to wake them up. You know, sometimes it's a doctor's appointment. Sometimes it's their feeding schedule. You have to change them or whatever it is, okay? And so we, you want to, we, we want to do this the right way because it's important to their physical, emotional, and mental uh, development. So here's some basic instructions on the right way to do this, okay? Kissing your baby awake is good. Air horns, okay, again, really effective, okay, but, but, not, but not, so, not so good, so, all right, and so uh, with that, that right there is Parenting 101, you have successfully, so successfully completed the course, and so you will receive in the mail about six to eight weeks your certificate, and we just thank you for your business that way, so, but uh, on a serious note, uh, yes, this is a series uh, titled Parenting Fail, and the reason why we're actually doing this series is if you've been a parent for any length of time at all, you know, you have, have made at least one mistake, okay? 
at least one. And if we're being honest, we've made lots of mistakes as parents. And some of us, we make mistakes every single day. Because the truth is, parenting, though wonderful and rewarding, it is hard work and it can be stressful. And the decisions that we make affect our children. The things that we do affect them physically, uh, mentally, um, emotionally, even spiritually. And we can't even always see the long-term consequences of the things that we, we do for our kids and the decisions that we make for them. And, and we don't always know what's gonna, how it's going to affect them. In fact, I remember when I was a 11 years old, like it was yesterday, but um, when I was 11 years old, I got in trouble for something I didn't do, and uh, my dad spanked me for it, and let me just tell you, if there's one thing my dad was good at, that was spanking, okay? Uh, I mean, he was really good at that, and, and come to find out, it was my sister who was the, the person who perpetrated the crime that I got punished for, and I remember my dad found out about it, and he was really naturally upset, and, and certainly she got in trouble, but then he comes into the room, and he looks at me really kind of awkward, and he says, I'm sorry, then he reaches in his wallet and gives me five bucks. <laughs> My dad gave me five bucks for wrong, wrongfully whipping my rear end. I mean, you know, and I remember thinking, like, five dollars for whooping. I don't know if that was worth it, you know? Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, I, I was like, I want to put this five dollars in my back pocket, but I can't touch my rear end right now. So, you know, and, and so I remember in that moment as an 11-year-old boy, I was frustrated and I was bitter because until that point, I believed. Until that very point, I believed that, that you know, if I did the right thing, I wouldn't get in trouble. But here I was, I got in trouble. And I'm standing here with five bucks on my hand and a sore rear end. And somehow the world didn't make sense to me anymore. And so what was worse, my anger over this and my bitterness toward my sister. Because she knew all along when I was getting in trouble that, that, she, that she caused that. So my, my anger and bitterness towards her lasted for years and years and years. In fact, still to this day. When I tell that story, there's a little something in me that, that raises up. There's still a little, you know what I mean? And so, um, you know, we, we as parents, we just sometimes don't realize how lasting and significant the things that we do uh, in the lives of our kids are. And sometimes we just flat get it wrong. Sometimes we, we fail. Sometimes we miss the mark. Sometimes we just really mess it up. Well, this series is about taking a closer look at some of the areas in our lives where we as parents, you know, we try our best, but we, we miss the mark. Areas in our lives where we just tend to bump our heads, where we just all kind of commonly stumble because they're just some very basic challenges I think that every parent faces. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to take a look at those. And in those, uh, in this series, we're, we're going to look at what, what God's word has to say about that and what he, said, what, what he has to say about these challenges. And hopefully, we're going to be able to learn some practical steps that we can actually take from scripture itself and apply to our lives in order to, uh, to grow as parents so we don't miss the mark quite as often. Now, why a series on parenting? I mean, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. I'm not a parent. I'm a kid. I'm a teenager. You know, I mean, I don't ever have, I don't ever plan to have kids or, you know, my kids are all grown up. So what does this have to do with me? Well, the reason why we periodically do parenting series is because God has a lot to say about this particular subject. Because marriage and families and children, you know, really are a part of God's ideal plan for, for all mankind. And, and it's through children and our relationship with them that God actually builds up the future. And so the church is the ideal place to talk about this. And, and how we raise our kids as a church family, you know, that is important for the future of our community. And it has an impact. And, and it's important for the, for the rest of the world in the way that we affect it for the cause of Christ. Now, the other reason why we do a series like this is because, like with all things, Christianity fundamentally is about relationships. 
Christianity is about a relationship with, with God. Okay? It's about relationships. It's about our relationships to our spouse. It's about a relationship with our friends. It's about our relationships with, with uh, our coworkers and even our enemies. Christianity is about relationships. And there's no more fundamental relationship than parent and child. In fact, that's the exact relationship that God uses as an analogy of how we relate to him. That's why we pray to God, Heavenly Father. If, you know, it's a parent-child kind of relationship. When we become Christians, the Bible says we become, like, we become God's children. In fact, John tells us, But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, who gave, he gave the right to become children of God. The parent-child relationship is really a foundational idea for understanding who God is and how we relate to him. And so reading the Bible and studying it, what it says about parenting definitely has a lot of benefit for parents, but it's also beneficial for everyone else because the truths and the principles and the precepts about parenting can all be applied to other relationships as well. For example, last week we learned that probably one of the most important foundational issues faced by parents is the issue of balance. We as parents struggle with balance with balancing our finances, balancing our priorities, and we even struggle to balance how we discipline our children. And, and that's what we talked about. As parents, we tend to fall on one side or the other of the line. We either are the tough authoritarian or we're the, the soft, permissive, tender-hearted type. We're either the drill sergeant or the, or the comforter. But what we've discovered is what we need to do is we need to be both. We need to balance between both. We need to be the tender-hearted authoritarian. Just like Jesus was. And he's our example. And Jesus was just that. He was tough, but he was comforting. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to earth. He was full of grace and truth. He was full of both qualities, grace and truth. He was the prototypical, tender-hearted authoritarian. Jesus... Being full of grace and truth means that he was loving and forgiving and compassionate, but still held people accountable, you know, and expected them to grow and change. Jesus would say things like, I don't condemn you, but then he would turn around and say, but go and sin no more. Jesus would, would weep with compassion for the, for the lost and the brokenhearted, but then Jesus would turn around and make a whip and physically drive out people out of the temple, the merchants, and he would turn their tables over and spill their money all over the floor. The same Jesus, he would offer, you know, words of comfort to those who needed comfort, but then he would give stinging rebukes to those people who needed correction. Jesus was full of both of those things, grace and truth. And because Jesus is the example of balance for us, we need to strive for that as parents. But this balance is between grace and truth isn't limited to just, you know, our, our parents, it, it, you know, being parents and children. It's, it also applies to our other relationships. We need to be full of grace and truth with our friends. We need to be full of grace and truth with our classmates and, and our co-workers and our bosses and teachers. We need to be full of grace and truth even with strangers and even our enemies. You see, these truths that we learn about parenting have a universal application, and they apply to the rest of our relationships. And so that's why this series about parenting you know, is relevant, even if you're not a parent. And that's why it's good for you to be here with us today. And so today, I want to talk about something, actually, even though that we're focusing on parenting, um, I want to talk about uh, something that affects everybody. It absolutely affects everybody. And in fact, uh, what I want to talk about actually has huge implications. In fact, this subject has, has implications and in, in, in ramifications that are national and even global in significance, which stands to reason because really what the world is made up of ultimately is just a collection of communities. And what are communities made of? 
they're ultimately made up of families. And so this is, this is a particular family issue that affects everyone. In fact, we see it all around the world. Now, let me just set this up real quick, okay? What we need to understand right up front as a parent, our job in a nutshell is to help our children to reach adulthood uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Ultimately, that's what our job is. You boil it down, our job is to take our li- these little children who don't know anything, who are completely dependent, self-absorbed, and help them to grow up through all the stages of their life. And hopefully, on the way, you have prepared them physically, emotionally, spiritually, um, and mentally to be adults. You know, that's that right there is really kind of the, our, our, our job in a nutshell. Now, you have to understand, helping your kid to grow up physically, that's the easy one, Okay. I mean, if you keep your child alive and you keep, you feed them regularly and you clothe them and give them shelter, kids are pretty much going to grow up on their own. They're going to reach their full physical potential on their own. It kind of happens, again, automatically. You just provide the food, the water, the shelter, and the clothing, and you just keep them from, from breaking themselves too bad, okay? They will grow up physically to reach their full physical potential, okay? Now, you can certainly do things to help with that. You can absolutely do things to help with that. You can help make sure they eat right. You can make sure that they get enough sleep. You can make sure that that, uh, they exercise or take vitamins. But in most cases, you know, kids will will grow up basically physically on their own. Now, helping your child to grow up emotionally, that's a tougher one. That's That's more difficult. Okay, in fact, last week was what we talked about. Week one was really about that. It's about a balanced approach to disciplining our children so our kids grow up emotionally prepared for the rest of the world. Our goal is to discipline our children in a way not to discourage them or crush their spirit, but at the same time hold them responsible and accountable so they're well-adjusted as adults. They, they, that way they're, they're mature emotionally. And then helping our kids grow up mentally, that's helping them to learn. Okay, kids naturally love to learn. They're curious. You know, we help them to, to learn to read and, and, and count. I mean, I've taught all my kids to, to read. That was like one of the joys of my life. Um, and, and, and then we send them off to school, and they learn things like English and science and math and art. And, and, and some parents really, really take an interest in this and help their children to excel uh, by helping them with their homework and, and encourage them to read. And, and even some parents help them to get in, into college. And... Um, and hopefully our children learn enough in their education to be successful and productive adults. That's to be prepared for the world mentally. But spiritually, helping our children grow up spiritually, that right there, that's the tough one. Okay. Helping our children grow up from, from, and, and follow God and helping them to, to have a robust faith in Christ. That's the rough one. Helping our kids to meaningfully follow Jesus. That's the hardest one of all. Okay, it's much harder than helping your children grow up physically and much harder than helping them grow up mentally and emotionally. Passing on from one generation to the next, an intact, robust faith is perhaps one of the parenting's greatest and most important challenges. But sadly, these are one, this is the area where we as parents miss the mark. Because here's the truth. Apologist Josh McDowell wrote a book titled The Last Christian Generation. And in his book, he cites research done by the Barna Group um, from just the 90s, okay, that focused on evangelical Christian teens. Not just regular teens, just evangelical Christian teens who identify themselves as Christians, okay? And here's what they found. 63%, 63% of evangelical teens don't believe that Jesus is the son of the one true God. The staggering. 58% of evangelical teens do not believe, I mean, they believe that 
that all faiths teach equally valid truths. 58 is better than half. 51% of evangelical teens don't believe Jesus actually rose from the dead. 65% of evangelical teens don't believe Satan is real and that he's just basically a religious concept or a religious construct. Okay? Again, staggering, but, it, but there's more. 68% of teens don't believe the Holy Spirit is a real entity. 64% of evangelical teens believe if a person is generally good and does good enough good things and is good enough to other people, is good enough to other people that they will earn their place in heaven. In fact, you know, when you ask, one of the, one of the questions I ask teens all the time that I meet, I just ask them, like, what do you have to do to be saved? And what you'll find is the answers are, well, you've got to be a good person. You know, you got to do good things. Uh, yeah, you need to go to church. You need to pray. You need to read the Bible. You know, and, and I tell them all those are good things. But, but very seldom do you hear them say, you have to put your faith and hope and trust in, in Jesus Christ alone. But it goes on. 81%, that's 8 out of 10, of evangelical teens believe all truth is relative to the individual. 8 out of 10. 72% of evangelical teens say that if it's true, I mean, it's true if it works for you. Meaning if, if your faith works for you and makes you happy, it must be true regardless of what it actually is. And then 85% of evangelical youths drop out between the, ten, the, 12th, the 10th and 12th grade. And that's not all, because between 69 and 94% of all young people, evangelical or not, are leaving the traditional church after high school and very few are returning. My friends, as parents who follow Christ, this right here is where we are absolutely missing the mark. This is where we are failing our kids. As we, and we see the evidence of this all the way around the world. That's why so many young people care more about lions being killed than unborn children. Because we have lost the sense of the value and the sanctity of human life. It's also the reason why researchers cannot find males in, in their 20s in the United States and Canada who have not been exposed to pornography because they don't exist. Because our culture essentially, especially the youth culture, has turned its back on the biblical uh, sexual morality and ethics. And I can go on and on and on and on. Our failure as parents in this area has created a mental, emotional, and moral breakdown in our society. In fact, Josh McDowell also cites uh, research that indicates that people who lose a basic faith structure in their life are 225% more likely to be angry with life, 216% more likely to be resentful, 210% more likely to lack purpose in life, 200% more likely to be dissatisfied with life. He also points out that the research shows that young people who fail to adopt a foundational Christian belief system, it affects them negatively and impacts their behavior. In fact, 48% are more likely to cheat on exams, 200% more likely to steal, 200% more likely to physically hurt someone, 300% more likely to use illegal drugs, and 600% more likely to commit suicide. 600% more likely to commit suicide. That's, the consequences of this are devastating. But how can that be?
How can that possibly be in our culture with so many churches and so many awesome programs and so many youth camps and conferences and vacation Bible schools and with so many great Christian movies and so much Christian music in every genre and with, with so many Bibles. I mean, they have Bibles for teens. They have Bibles for kids. They have Bibles for girls. They have Bibles for boys. They have Bibles for athletes. They have Bibles for skaters. They have Bibles for preteens who are thinking about college but haven't made up their mind yet. I mean, they have Bibles for everybody. How can this be? I mean, there's so many cool Christian clothing labels, and there's so many Christian novelty items, and there's so many great Christian places to eat, like, you know, like, like Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out Burger. How can this be? I mean, there's so many people working so hard right now on the, on the, the lost young culture. And, and, and they're throwing everything that they can think of at it. I mean, they're, they're, they're writing books, they're making videos, they're recording songs, they're creating websites and, and device apps to help your children to learn to follow Jesus. But why are so many of our youth leaving their faith behind? Where did we go wrong? Well, where we went wrong is we as parents started believing that our children's spiritual growth and development is the church's responsibility and not ours as parents. Let me say that again. We went wrong when we as parents started believing that our church's spiritual growth and development is the church's responsibility and not ours as parents. That is where we went wrong. You see, the majority of our culture has just come to this conclusion that it's the church's job and the church's responsibility to help children to develop spiritually. That it's the church's job to disciple kids so that they follow Christ. And and non-Christians and Christians alike all believe that. I can't tell you how many parents will drop off their kids here thinking that they're going to drop them off here and then we're going to help them to grow up to be good people. But that's just not the truth. The church is a great place to bring your kids. Absolutely. Okay? We will talk to them about Jesus. We will tell them about the gospel. We will tell them about eternal life. We will talk about repentance. We will talk about grace. All right? It is time well spent. But let's not fool ourselves. Let's think about this. If your kids come to church every single week, you have to understand they will spend about 0.89%, less than 1%, of their time in church. 99.11% of their time they're spent somewhere else. Now, let's put this in perspective. Your kids spend 30% of their time sleeping so they can grow physically. And during the school year, they'll spend about 20% of their time in school so they can get a basic education so they can grow up mentally. And that doesn't even include their homework. And if they play sports, they're going to spend about 6% of their time. If they, and, if, and if they're really committed, you know, they'll spend more. Okay? 6% of their time at practice so they can grow and become athletes. Because that's what it takes. They spend about 6% of their time you know, learning to play baseball and football and things like that. But yet, <laughs> we'll let the church have our kids for like an hour and an hour and a half you know, on the weekend and think that our children should reach spiritual maturity you know, by doing that as they grow up. We think somehow that they should have this robust faith in Jesus Christ by coming to church an hour and an hour and a half a week. And that, my friends, that right there is the problem. That's right. We have abdicated our responsibility to train up our children spiritually, thinking that they're going to grow up as good, solid Christian people. And all the evidence says that it's not happening. This is where we're missing the mark as parents. They have to understand, this isn't a new problem. 
Okay? This isn't like just unique to our culture. Passing down a robust faith from one generation to the next is, is not a new problem. It's been a parenting problem from the very, very beginning. In fact, that's why the Bible is so filled with so many, many stories where you have a generation of people who will follow and love God, and then the next generation turns away from God. Just read the book of Judges and the book of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, and you'll see this pattern over and over and over and over again. Passing along our faith to our kids to the next generation is really a big challenge. Helping our children to grow up spiritually is one of the biggest and most important challenges we're going to ever face as parents. And because of that, the Bible has really specific, clear directions on how to face this challenge. In fact, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 6. And we're going to begin with verse 1. But before we jump in here, let me just kind of take a moment. Let me just explain the context of this passage. Because we're always going to start our Bible reading with a context. Because you must always study Scripture in its context. Otherwise, it's a pretext. Um, so with that, the story of Deuteronomy is set about 40 years before the nation, I mean, after the nation of Israel left Egypt. And this is significant because this is the time period where the next generation of Israelites is about to take you know, finally take the promised land. Because if you'll remember, the previous older generation, because of their fear, initially refused to cross over the Jordan, take possession of the land. And so God withdrew the blessing of that. And he promised that the old generation is going to pass away and die off. And then the new generation will take the land in their place. And so Moses had originally given the law and the commandments of God to the old generation. That's the book of Leviticus. And then he, uh, he told them about God's commandments in preparation, how to live, you know, with God and live in the promised land. But like I said, they failed to do that. And so now the new generation is beginning to, to prepare to move into the promised land. And so Moses in Deuteronomy is basically giving the law again a second time to this new generation. In fact, the name Deuteronomy means second law. That's what it means. It's the second giving of the law. So Moses knew what he had to do is he had to teach the law to this next generation before they inherited the land. And in fact, he even says as much in verse 1. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you were going over to possess it. So Moses is basically saying, before you get to enter the promised land, you need to learn the law. You need to know how to live and worship God before you get there. Verse 2, he says, And that you may fear the Lord your God, and that you, and, and I want you to notice this, that you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping his statutes and his commandments, which I've commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. And so what Moses is saying is, I'm teaching you this law, so that you can live by right by God. And not just you, but your kids and your grandkids too. And that, that all of you will have long, productive lives in the promised land. And then he goes on to say, Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And so to really summarize this real quick, Moses is saying, you're about to enter this abundant promised land that's been promised for like 400 years. But before you do that, you need to learn about the law so you can live in it. And that, that if you do that, you can live in, in God's will and you will be blessed by God. And also doing, you need to teach your kids to do that so that they can also respect God and love God and be inside God's will and enjoy His blessing too. Now, Moses doesn't just stop there. 
Okay? He doesn't just leave them guessing on how to teach their kids how to obey the law and follow God. I mean, you know, this is an important responsibility. Passing along an intact faith from one generation to the next is, is critical for their success. And so Moses says as much. So Moses doesn't just leave them guessing. He instead, in the beginning of the next verse, he lays out you know, for them a practical step-by-step guide of how the Israelites are to teach and train up their children in the ways of the Lord. And it begins in verse 4. And so I'm just going to read this entire passage, you know, really quick. And then we'll come back through it and we'll just kind of take it apart. And it says, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. And these words I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them When you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, this is a really very short, compact text. It's about six verses long, okay? But in this, he talks a lot about about how we train up our children. And so let's just start from the beginning. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, Lord our God is one. Now, this verse right here, you know, is known as the Shema, okay? The Shema means simply, it just means to listen, okay? It's kind of like, listen up. Like, hear, O Israel, is like, everybody listen, all right? And, 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 and so what it basically says, listen here, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now, this verse here may seem kind of strange with us, but wrapped up in these few little words here is a world full of theology. And we can spend weeks just on this phrase here, but uh, we don't have time for that. But there's a couple of things that uh, in this text I want to point out to you that I think that are relevant to our conversation. So, first of all, when it says the Lord is one... This word one in this context doesn't actually simply just mean numerically one, okay? The the context of that word actually means unified. It means unique, like there's nothing else like him, okay? In fact, the, 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 the verse kind of reads literally this way. The Lord, the word for that is Jehovah. Our God, Elohim, the Lord, Jehovah, is one or unified or unique. And so, so the essence here is that the Lord our God a plural word, Elohim is plural, is unified. He is one. He's unique. There's no one other like him. And in this text right here, we can see the very shadow of the Trinity because the idea here is the same as it was in Genesis for the use of this word, Elohim, is both singular and plural at the same time. Now, so there's basically one God, three distinct persons who are all equally God and they are unified. So just kind of recapping, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, Jehovah, our God, Elohim, plural. The, the Lord Jehovah is one. He is unified, united. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, to begin with, this is actually the first step of how we begin. This is how we begin to grow our children spiritually. The first step is to acknowledge who God is. That's the first step. We acknowledge who God is, that He is the one true God. There is no other God except Him, that He is the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer. He, we need to acknowledge that He is God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. We need to acknowledge who God is. Okay? That's the first step. 
And then we find in the next verse, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, which is our next step. Step two, you know, and how we pass along our faith to, our, to the next generation is we must love God with all we have. We need to love God with all our hearts and all our soul and all our strength. In fact, Jesus himself said, this is the first and the greatest commandment. If there's anything that you're going to do, you need to do this. This is what we need to do. And if you're going to be successful in sharing your faith with your kids and training them up, you know, in the way, ways of the Lord so they can become spiritually mature, you need to love God with a reckless abandon. You need to be sold out for God. You need to be sold out for Jesus. We need to love God with all of our actions and all of our attitudes above all other things. We need to love Him totally and completely, body, mind, soul, and strength. God must be our number one priority in our lives, which then leads to verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. These words, God's words, need to be planted in your hearts. That's the next step. We need to know the Word of God. I mean, think about this. How can you pass along something that you don't yourself know? We can't do that. We can't pass along what we don't understand. We need to know the Word of God. It needs to be in our heart. It needs to be a part of who we are as people. I mean, if you acknowledge God above all others and you love Him with, with reckless abandon, wouldn't it stand to reason that you're going to want to know everything you can know about Him? And the way we get to know Him is through His Word. We need to read His Word. We need to meditate on His Word. We need to memorize His Word and make it a part of who we are. And then in verse 7, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. Now let me just stop right here. It says, you must teach your children the Word of God. Notice what it says. It says, you must teach your children the Word of God. Preaching. You must teach. Now, this is important because it doesn't say, drop off your kids in Sunday school and so they can learn about God. It doesn't say, you know, have your kids watch Veggie Tales over and over and over and over again so they can learn about God. It doesn't say load up the Bible app on your mobile phone or your kids' tablet so they can learn about the Word of God. It says you, you teach your children the Word of God. Now don't get me wrong. Sunday school, Veggie Tales, all right, the Bible app, all those things are good and they are useful and they are helpful, but they are no substitute for you teaching them the Word of God. Now you might think to me, well, how? How do I do that? How do I teach my kids the Word of God? Well, the first thing, let's go back to step three. You need to know the Word of God. Okay, so it's about reading and studying. But beyond that, Moses tells us how in this little, this little subsection here. He says, you shall talk of them, the, the God's commandments, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Now think about this. Moses gives us four practical steps that we need to teach our kids the Word of God. The first one is, talk about God and His Word in your home. When you're at home together, when you're with your children, talk about God, talk about the Bible. Turn off the TV, you know, for a little while. Turn off the Xbox and the PlayStation and talk about God's Word with your kids. You can do that over dinner. You can do that while you're just hanging out. You can sit on the front porch enjoying the, uh, the summer evening. You, know, you need to talk about the Word of God with your kids at home. And guess what? You spend a whole lot more time with your kids than an hour and a half a week at home. 
you are going to have a lot more influence in their lives than a Sunday school teacher ever will. So talk with your kids about God and His Word. The second one is, talk about God and His Word when you travel, when you're on your way. Now, we live in a mobile society, so this is perfect for us. Especially on here, right? It's 45 minutes to Lancaster, right? It's 20 minutes to Cal City. It's an hour and a half to Bakersfield, all right? That's a perfect opportunity to talk to your kids about God and His Word. So turn off the radio. Make the kids put down the smartphone and the iPad and, you know, and the Nintendo 64 DS, you know, and engage them in a conversation. And here's the thing is you don't have to spend the entire time, like 90 minutes, you know, lecturing them about, you know, Leviticus, okay? You can take 10 or 15 minutes and just talk about, you know, what you understand about God's word, you know, as you travel and just kind of have a conversation with them. The third one is talk to your kids about God at bedtime. When you lie down. It talks about when you lie down, you know, talk to your kids. Well, well, when your kids go to bed, this is a great time for you to read to them a Bible story. Read to them a passage of scripture. It's a great way to teach them about God. Read a little Bible story, maybe pray with them. It'll help them grow spiritually. And I promise you, the side effect of that is, is you'll have a closeness with your kids that is just, you know, this, this priceless. You know, even when you have to get pulled away from like CSI to do it. You know what I mean? So the fourth one is to talk to your kids about God when you all wake up. Teach your kids from the beginning to start the day thinking about God. Teach them from the very beginning. Have breakfast with your kids. Read a short Bible verse. Do a devotional with them. Spend just a few minutes with your kids first thing in the morning and share with them, you know, one of God's, you know, words. Something that, that you really, like, you know, appreciate about God. You know, it, it will go a long way. And so you have to accept this responsibility for yourself. This is, you're the one who's responsible to teach your, your children about God. I mean, we're going to do our best. I promise you. We're going to continue to do VBS. We're going to continue to have kids ministry. We're going to continue to try to reach kids for Christ. But you're the ones that will have the greatest impact. It is your responsibility as a parent. Now, maybe you don't have children of your own. And, you know, there's some people like that. But there are children in your life. Maybe you have nieces and nephews. Maybe you have grandkids. Maybe they're neighbor's kids that you're really close to and you spend a lot of time with. You can influence them and teach them the Word of God too. We do that for our nephews. We love them little guys, right? We bring them, yes, to church. We bring them to VBS, yes. But we, and we also sing worship music with them at home. And we also sing worship music with them in the car. And we pray with them often. And we talk to them about God often when we're around them. We're trying to influence our, our nephews to love God and know Him. But ultimately, it's our responsibility as individuals and parents and aunts and uncles and grandpas to teach the next generation about God, to help them to grow up spiritually. And then we find in verse 8, Moses saying, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, these commandments, and, you shall, and, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. Now, this verse right here, for us Westerners, is kind of strange. But many Orthodox Jews actually practice this still today, literally. They will have these little small scraps of Scripture or maybe little scrolls, and they'll put them in little boxes called phylacteries, and they will like literally like attach them to their forehead, like put a little string and put them on their forehead or, and, or attach them to their left arm. So they're literally trying to obey this, this text. But that's not the point of the text. The point of the text is that the, the Word of God should be so intertwined with who you are that it influences how 
you think, and that it influences what you do. You think with your head, you do things with your hands. That's the idea. The whole point of this verse you know, can be summed up this way. Parents just simply need to model the way. That's what parents need to do. They need to model the way. They need to be the example. That's step number five. If you're going to help your children grow up uh, uh, spiritually, you have to model the way. You need to set the example for them. Jesus was our example of grace and truth. We need to be the example for our kids. You're the greatest single influence in their lives. No one, no one, no one will ever influence your children like you do. And let me remind you, your children are more influenced by your actions than they are by your words. In fact, in the words of the late, great Zig Ziglar, he says, your kids more attention pay to what you do than what you say. That one right there is worth remembering. Your kids remember what you do long after they forget what you say. See, everybody hates hypocrites, even kids. And, and kids know hypocrites when they see it. And so it's not just good enough to talk about it. You have to live it out too. The Word of God needs to influence the way you think. It needs to influence the way you behave. And so this is step five. You have to model the way. You need to set the example. And then verse nine, it says, it's another strange verse. It says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, you're to write the commandments of God you know, on your doorposts of your house you know, or, and your gates. And again, this is an Orthodox Jew thing that they take literally. And they actually have like little custom boxes that, that, that are made. They're all very decorative. And they're called mezuzahs. And they install these things on their door frames. And they actually hold inside them little, little scrolls of scripture. And when they install them on their door jam, they put them there and they put them on their gate post. And the occupants of the home then, as they make their way in and out the door, they always touch it reverently, you know, acknowledging that that's the word of God. And it's a sign that the home is a sanctuary for the Lord, a place where the word of God is loved and obeyed and taught. Now, we don't have to do that literally, okay? I mean, don't go getting a nail out and trying to nail your Bible to your door jam, okay? That's not what this is saying, okay? All right. What, what, it, what we need to do, though, is really what we need to do is make our homes a sanctuary of God. Our home needs to be a place where the Word of God is loved, where the Word of God is lived out, where the Word of God is obeyed and taught. Our homes ought to be a place where we, where we live out and teach the things like grace and truth. Our homes need to be filled with reminders that there's a God in heaven and that, that we love Him and worship Him and serve Him. Our homes need to be a place where people pray and a place where the Bible is read and a place where doctrine is taught, a place where worship music is played. Homes need to be a place of peace, a place of retreat, a place where you can shut and lock the door and it's just you and God and your spouse and your kids kids and all the world and all the troubles are outside. Our homes may be a place where we practice the very best of our abilities as Christians. You know, we, this is where we need to practice the very best we can offer humanity as Christians in our home first. Our home should be a place where we teach qualities like, like unconditional love, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, grace, mercy. Our homes must be an extension of the sanctuary. It must be an environment that's conducive to teaching and, and learning the word of God. And so those, those are the steps that Moses outlines for passing you know, our faith on to the next generation. Acknowledge who God is. Love God with all that you are. Know the word of God. Teach the word of God to your children. Model the way and make your home a sanctuary to God. And if you'll do these things, you'll have a powerful influence in the life of your children, helping them to grow up spiritually. Now realize, 
I understand this is a lot of work. This is a lot to do. Okay? This is a comprehensive plan and there's a lot to it. But remember, we're facing a huge problem. You know, a community problem, a national problem, even a worldwide problem. So a problem that really is worth our best efforts. Because think about this. Just imagine. Just imagine. How does your family change if you decide to wholeheartedly do what Moses says to do here? How does your family change when you decide to sell completely out for God and you decide to take responsibility for teaching your children the Word of God? How does your family change when you commit to modeling the way to the best of your ability every single day? How does your family change? How does your life change? I mean, forget about being a parent. How does your life change when you sell it for God and commit to knowing His Word and you commit to living it out in everything that you do? What changes in you? It changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. If you put these six steps into practice in your life and in your home, your lives of your family will change. Everything will change. It's not if, it's not maybe. Everything will change. You see, God told Moses to teach the next generation to live by his word and that the promise that that they would be his people and that that they would be blessed and they and their children. That was the covenant. We today live under a new covenant, a covenant bought and paid for by the blood of Christ, a covenant of grace, a covenant where we're given the the gift of eternal life, where we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, a covenant of of no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you can have a relationship with God. You can be a child of God through faith, a covenant where you can learn to be obedient to God's word through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, a covenant where you can, you can know the joy of a close and personal abiding relationship with God, this side of eternity. And that covenant is available to us through faith, and it's available to our children through their faith. In fact, the Apostle John says, in John, in 3 John 3, 14, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. There are going to be few joys in your life that are compared to knowing that your children are saved. And knowing that one day when this life is over, and believe me, it will be over, okay? But one day when this life is over for you and your children, that you're going to be reunited for them forever. That you will spend eternity with them in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There will be no more fear. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more hurts. And so I ask you, knowing this payoff, knowing what the rewards are, and knowing that this will change everything. If you'll do these six things, it will change everything. Knowing that, will you commit to do them? Will you acknowledge God and love Him supremely with all you are and learn to study His Word and know it and then teach His Word to your children and willingly, continually model the way and then make your home a sanctuary? Knowing that it changes everything, will you do it? Knowing that it will help them to grow up spiritually and help them to have a robust faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you willing to commit to that? Now, I'm going to turn up the heat just a little bit on this. Okay? Because I know you love your kids. I know you love your children. But while you sit there asking yourself about, you know, will I do this? Will I commit to do these things? Because this is really a big life change. There's a lot to this. While you sit there asking yourself, let me just ask you one more question. Are your children worth the very best that you have to offer them? Are they worth the sacrifice you have to make to help them grow up spiritually. I mean, lots of parents are willing to make big sacrifices to help their kids grow up as athletes. 
I mean, they're going to buy them equipment. They're going to take, you know, take them to practice. They're going to come to games. They're going to coach their kids. They're going to attend the games, and they're going to encourage them and spend a lot of time and money and energy. And parents are even willing to sacrifice to help their kids grow up as artists and students. Lots of parents are willing to sacrifice greatly um, to make sure their kids have nice clothes and nice things and make sure they never want for anything materially. But I'm asking you, are your children worth the sacrifice that you have to make to live out these six steps so they can grow up with a real, authentic, robust faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ, which is a lot more important than sports, art, and even college. So I'm going to ask you again, will you do this? Will you commit to do this? Now, the good news is, you don't have to do this all at once, okay? Take a little pressure off there. You don't have to do this all at one time, okay? You can begin to integrate this in your life a little bit at a time, over time. I'm asking, I'm not asking you to completely change your entire life, like right now. What I'm asking you is to take a step in that direction. That's what I'm asking. So I'm asking you to do is I'm just asking you to take some time this week, think about this, and commit to taking a step in that direction. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't you know? It can be really, really simple. Maybe you're just going to commit to spending some more time reading the Bible so you know it better, so you can actually teach it to your kids. Maybe you know, it's just reading a Bible story to your kids at bedtime. Maybe that's what you decide to do. Maybe you set up a daily family prayer time, five minutes, get the kids together, you know, hold hands and pray. Maybe you can just have one evening where, you know, once a week where you just turn off the TV and turn off the devices and, you know, maybe play some games, you know, spend some time with your kids telling them about Jesus. Maybe you can even, like, you know, come together as a family and pray or maybe just listen to some worship music or maybe you can watch one of them faith-based movies. They're making a lot of great ones nowadays. So maybe it's as simple, you know, as deciding to sell out for God in your own personal life. Maybe you just decide to turn away from the sin that you have in your life and let God heal you so that way that, that, that your kids can see that change in you. I mean, there are lots and lots of ways to grow in this area. And, and your homework this week is just basically pick something. Pick something and move towards that and do that on a regular basis. You know, and, and then do that. Okay, let's not simply just be hearers of the word. Let's be doers of the word also. Because... Your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and your nephews are every bit worth the sacrifice that you have to make. Let me pray for you. Father, we just we thank you for your grace and your mercy, and we thank you for, for your word, and we thank you for the wisdom that you've poured out so many thousands of years ago. And I just pray right now for revival in our community, Lord, that we as parents would just we would take this seriously and we'd storm the gates of hell in our own homes that we would we would take seriously the responsibility to raise our children in, in, in the knowledge of who you are. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would comfort those who need comfort today, that you would minister to those who just need to hear your voice today. But I pray that you give them the, the, the wisdom to know what to do to change in their lives and I pray that you give them the courage then to do it and follow through with it. Me too, Lord. Help me, Lord, to continue to walk that way. Help me to grow as a parent. I to make no pretenses. I'm a fallen, broken man. I'm a train wreck. And without your grace, I'm just absolutely nothing. And I just pray, Father, you just can continue to convict my heart and continue to help me to, to see my children in the way that you want them to be seen and help me to, to relate to them in, 
and to nurture them the way you want me to. And I pray, Father, that I'd be every bit the man that you want me to be in their lives. And I pray that for, for every parent here. And I pray your protection over them. I pray for those who are not here. I pray, Lord God, for this congregation. I pray that you lift up in this people so passionate for your word that they storm the gates of hell in this community, Lord. And we go out and we would share the hope and healing in our town. And that Boron would be a beacon of hope. That people would, would wonder what's going on there. And that people would see that God is active and alive in our little town. And that you would transform lives from the inside out. We thank you, Lord, for that. We, we praise you with all our hearts. And we commit this to you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org and please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.